Hello, you're listening to Anything But Square. My name is Xavier George, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Manpreet Kaur Singh, who is the executive producer at SBS Punjabi, an ongoing columnist at Sikh Sheik, and creator of acclaimed documentary, The Enemy Within, an investigation into family violence in the Indian-Australian community. Walkley Award nominee, outright winner of a catalogue of awards. Manpreet, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Xavier. That's such a fantastic introduction. And yeah, anything but square. I like that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's actually our company tagline. We kind of mix it up. And I guess it matches the uh, the subject matter. Eclectic, a bit of everything. It's kind of fun, really, to be honest with you. I'd like to talk about your career at length and as well as your involvement with the Indian-Australian community in Melbourne in particular. Could I ask, going right back to the beginning, your career began with the Indian Express and the Hindustan Times. What brought you from India to Australia? Ah, marriage. <laughs> I got married and I came here. So I began working back in 1989. So I worked with, obviously, Indian Express and Hindustan Times, the two big dailies in India. Um, and I was also working in the national broadcaster called Durdashan. Back then, that was the one big television network we had. Um, but I got married in 1991. Uh, my husband had already migrated to Australia uh, back in 1988. Funny enough, growing up, I never thought I'd go overseas. I just loved growing up in India. I was very lucky. My father was in the Indian Army. That meant that every two years, you went to a different, entirely different part of India. Um, and you grew up in a, it's almost going to a new country where there's a different language spoken. So you have a new school, new set of friends. It was like a mini migration every two years. So it, it was a fantastic way to grow up. And I always loved living there. But hey, this had to happen. So destiny and marriage, they brought me to Australia. Just going back on that one. So your childhood was spent, what, moving around every couple of years, if either in an army base. That's a fantastic thing. Would you wish that on your children or if you had? I wish I could give that kind of um, exposure. Uh, because what it does is that it, it sort of makes you accept the unknown very quickly and adapt very quickly. And you focus more on things that um, are similar with people rather than things that are dissimilar. So very often I'd be in a brand new place where I can't read the boards written on the shops, you know, because it's a different language. I don't speak their language. So it, it was a very interesting way, especially in school, having a whole lot of new friends suddenly after every two years, and then you move on, you know, they're their history and then you move on to the next. So I thought that was a fantastic way to grow up, very gypsy-like in some cases, but a beautiful way as well because you become a person of the world. That's fascinating. What challenges do you think a lot of young Indians face in moving anywhere, I guess, but in particular to Australia? And what can Australians do to help? I would say the biggest challenge would be to feel like you belong. Migrants will uproot themselves from a country, from a familiar environment and come to a brand new country. Um, and I guess the biggest challenge is to start to belong to this new place. Speaking of Indian migrants, I would say they would largely fall in two categories. One being the skilled migrants, which is a huge cohort. It's the largest cohort of the Australian migration program. And also you've got the large cohort of international students and temporary migrants who come in. I think their experiences are slightly dissimilar to some extent. The similarities would be coming to a new country, finding your feet, you know, trying to grow the roots, getting that first job, creating a universe around you, getting a social circle around you, uh, doing well personally, you know, professionally in, on all those fronts. So those are 
I guess, for similar things. But the added thing for the temporary migrants or perhaps the international students would be the uncertainty. The fact, would they be able to live here? Would they be go on to make Australia their own country? Uh, so in a way, they are here, they are contributing to, to the economy, they're doing everything, but still not part of the country as such. They're still temporary migrants. So it's a very different um, experience, also depending on the level of education and English language skills and all of those. So yes, it's not an easy process, I would imagine, for anyone. Um, and what can Australians do to help, I guess? Empathy. Uh, I, I've always found Australians very welcoming, so it'd be great if they continue to do that. And that's that. That's the key for people to feel like they belong. The key, I guess, to feel that we are not them, that we're part of the us, like we're not the other, if you know what I mean. So um, I guess that 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 would be the key for me. That um, and more importantly, I would say that it's most important for the new migrants. Because sometimes the new migrants get so caught up in their own journey that they're still trying to find their roots. They forget that they're people who are much newer than them uh, and who would really benefit from their personal experience. So I think that whole welcoming thing and, uh, you know, that empathy must also come from the newly arrived migrants as well, not just the Australians who've been here for a long time. How did you personally come to join SBS Punjabi? Was that just after you came to Australia or was this a journey? No, no. Oh, that, that was quite a journey. Actually, I, I arrived in Australia when we had the recession in 1991. And here I was, this very young journalist who thought I'd accomplished the world. I'm a television star and everything. And 150 rejections later, I kind of realised, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not happening. And after that, uh, look, I took the first job that was offered to me, which was as a bank teller um, at one of the big four banks. So I was a bank teller and that's the first job I had. But I kept applying. And um, I think back then is a time when we still had newspapers and we looked at the classified advertisements for <laughs> jobs. And I did see the SBS job advertised. Um, I was a little hesitant because I'd never worked in Punjabi. And that's a very interesting thing because coming from India, I'd only worked in English before or Hindi actually um, on the television. I had never spoken my mother tongue professionally um, or worked in my uh, mother language, which is Punjabi. So I was a little bit hesitant purely because I'd not done it professionally, but I knew the work that entailed to be a journalist. So I applied and lucky, lucky, um, I got the job. And here I am almost, what, 28 years later loving every single day of the work I've done here. How, how has it changed since you joined and to, since where you are now? How has it developed? So back in 1993, February is when I joined, the Punjabi program was half an hour every fortnight at 11.15pm on a Wednesday night. And I'd come into work and sort of think, maybe one person would have heard me tonight, I hope. <laughs> You kind of do it with all your heart because you really want to go back to the roots. To me, it was like a homecoming to journalism. So I really put my heart and soul into it. I continued with a banking job because this was just part time. Yeah, so it was interesting. And we also had the spool tapes to work on. Um, you're probably too young to even know what they looked like. <laughs> so we've come a long way since then, just in terms of the broadcast time. Uh, 
1994, soon after I joined, uh, we became one hour a week. We became a weekly broadcast. We had an SBS radio reschedule based on the census, which was great. So suddenly we had, you know, so much more time. Uh, Thursday night, one hour, which was good. Um, and then we grew uh, in 2013, again, after the 2011 census, we grew exponentially. We are now every weeknight. So one hour every weeknight, 9 to 10 p.m. We broadcast twice nationally, but then we're on the app and, you know, the usual ways that people get us. And more than that, dramatically, we have a huge digital presence now. The Punjabi program is one of those programs that is really at the forefront of the SBS digital outreach. Um, and any given month, we would have hundreds of thousands of people who come into our website to not just listen to the audio that we produce, but also the digital articles that we write. And look, the work has changed dramatically. Back then, it would obviously, what do you do in half an hour in two weeks? And here you have a daily program. So you're reflecting on everyday activities that um, impact our everyday Punjabi Australians. It's really important, I think, we put the Punjabi communities issues, successes, um, even failures sometimes, but more importantly, things that really matter to them, we bring that to the mainstream. So we would then perhaps interview a minister or even the prime minister for that matter, and ask the questions that really matter to our community. On the other hand, we would delve into in-depth stories about perhaps the history of Indian arrival in Australia, or um, you know, we did a food investigation so to see is the food being imported into Australia from India, is that consumable? <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. So we do things that matter to the community, to the Punjabi community, to the Indian community, and hence to Australians. Right. Was that growth because of the growth in the Indian community itself in Australia? Correct. So the reschedule uh, that happens within uh, SBS, um, uh, it, that, that depends on the census results. So I remember back in 2006, our community was on paper 26,000 in all of Australia. And that grew very rapidly. Um, in the 2011 census, that became 72,000. So, you know, we tripled in five years. And in the last census, 2016, we were 132,000 Punjabis. Massive spike, uh, again, a double. Um, look, historically, census will underreport because not everybody writes their language. So you can see the trajectory has been exponential. Um, and of course, with that, our reach has increased. Our audience size has increased tremendously. And we are here purely because of our audience. Can I talk about The Enemy Within, the documentary that you produced on the issue of family violence in the Indian-Australian community? Could you tell us about what it was like to produce that documentary, why you were inspired to do so, and uh, if you faced any backlash or support? So I began uh, talking about family violence in the Indian community about 2006, 2007, I feel because the community was growing, and when the community grows, successes grow, but so do the issues, you see, they come out to the forefront. Um, and I remember a harrowing interview I did around 2008 or so with a young woman who had come into Australia, recently arrived, uh, didn't know anyone, didn't have English language skills, 
and she was living with an abusive husband who threatened her in many terrible ways. But she had the courage to come to the studio right here at Fed Square and talk to us about how one night he literally had a go at her for almost nothing, doused her with an aerosol can and then lit a matchstick and got that close to her. I get loose pimples just talking about it. I froze when she told me that and I thought, this is Australia we're talking about. And this poor woman had no idea what to do. Um, Fortunately for her, she was able to get out of that abusive uh, relationship. But the thing is, it took a lot of abuse, uh, a lot of acceptance to get to that stage until she finally left him when he actually was going to take her life. So that's what got me started on that. And I worked uh, on a community project on the side voluntarily to help, uh, you know, to look at family violence in the Indian community. And then suddenly we had this, terrible spate of deaths in 2010 where we had eight or nine people die including children women children even men within just a few months in the Indian community here in Melbourne and the reportage I saw in the mainstream media was dismal I'm sorry to say that uh, because it just cast people in a very wide but that it's because of their culture oh it's because of arranged marriage oh it's because you know that's what their culture teaches them, male dominance and things like that. And I thought that was rather unfair to blame culture, to blame anything for family violence. Uh, but rather than me say it, I just wanted to investigate that further. And that's how Enemy Within started. Um, we had some strong case studies, some being one being a woman who was burnt alive by her partner, who was then who killed himself as well thereafter. Um, there was another young woman who was actually my namesake, Manpreet, in uh, Sydney. She was stabbed 27 times by her husband. And he just claimed provocation as a cause, that she said she doesn't love me. That's why I got mad and I killed her. And he only got five years. Actually, the law in New South Wales was changed after that. So we picked on these really high-profile cases and spoke to family members. Then I spoke to experts in the community, people who work in family violence prevention, spoke to police, spoke to a whole raft of people. And during the course of it, I think the most important thing for me was to make people understand the definition of family violence, that it's not just physical, you know, it can be psychological, emotional, financial. And we brought out those kinds of experiences faced by women here in Australia. Um, and yeah, it was it was um, it was harrowing. I think 10, 12 months of work. Personally, it also takes a toll because look, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a social worker, and I'm not a professional in that sense. Um, so emotionally, it takes a toll on you. But you know that it's a story that needs to be told. So that story, yes, resonated hugely with the community. Uh, it was widely acclaimed, and it, I think. Many people were grateful that stories like that were finally being told in our people's voices and with the cultural sensitivity, not saying that the Indian culture condones violence. So that was one aspect of it. Um, of course, it went on to win some amazing awards and I feel forever grateful that, look, I never did this work to win awards, but 
I'm glad it was able to raise the profile of this issue through those awards. So you mentioned the Walkley nomination, the New York festivals, you know, all of that, um, the UNAA awards, all of that came with, with that. The flip side to it also was two things. So, of course, there's a backlash. Um, even back when I was speaking to young women, a lot of people didn't like it because it's a taboo topic. And they say, why are you washing people's dirty linen in public? You shouldn't be doing that. So there were a lot of uh, people saying that, oh, you're planting ideas into women's minds that they should break the house, they should not try to make up and things like that. So that was one small part of it. But the other more serious aspect of it would be the kind of abuse that you can face yourself. So quite apart from the vicarious trauma, which I'll come to later, without going into too much details, some of the people... Um, who were probably adversely projected in that uh, documentary, um, took to some aggressive steps to try and make me feel responsible and not take up such topics again. I guess that's the best way I can put it. Um, but the wonderful security at Federation Square was fantastic. They looked after me for a very long time because... Uh, those threats were coming through and um, you just had to make sure that you stay safe and keep doing the work that you're doing because to me, I was just doing my job, honestly. Um, I was doing work that needed to be done. Yeah, it can get extraordinary, but look, yeah, there were about 10, eight to 10 months where I needed security escort <laughs> to go to my car. <laughs> but that's all right. Uh, it also sort of, tells you that you did the right thing, that you are doing things that matter. These things touch a chord. I don't think I've spoken openly about this before, so this is probably the first time I've actually mentioned it out there. Um, the other thing is the vicarious trauma, which I did mention. So the enemy within also got me involved with Our Watch. That's the national government body that um, works for the prevention of family violence and works for ethical reporting of family violence. So I was the only person from ethical, from the ethnic media, so to say, the multicultural media, to be on the advisory board of Our Watch. So together with them, and to me, my big body work with Our Watch was to please don't blame culture. Of course, don't blame victims, which is very, very usual common still in mainstream media to blame the victim or you know have a label that she was this or she was that and she deserved it um but also please don't blame culture to me that's very important so we just went on to did the, do this video um, on vicarious trauma that journalists can feel when working on stories like this and i think we sort of um created a, a network or how should i say a safety net for ourselves as well so we continue to do the job that must be done. I'm still stunned that you had you had to have a security escort coming in and out of the office at Fed Square. I mean, that's just extraordinary. Was that how dangerous it really was? Well, a shout out to the security. They're fantastic at Fed Square. <laughs> uh, yeah, I felt very much at home. And then, look, that wasn't the first time that I've received uh, backlash from the community. I've received it earlier. Mind you, these are very, th these things come very rarely when and when they come of course you need to give it the seriousness because you don't know what the other person is capable of when they make a threat it may not amount to anything on the other hand it is completely dwarfed by the amount of love and adoration that we get from our community you know 
we are appointment radio, come to think of it, Xavier. We are just, uh, you know, nine o'clock on a weeknight. People invite us to their homes, to their cars or wherever they are. Uh, and, you know, they spend an hour with us and treat us like family and really give us a lot of love. And it's the most wonderful thing that we've ever had to be able to engage with the audiences and to help them feel at home, which is what we get as a feedback from them that, you know, because of you, because you're speaking in our language, we feel Australia's home. And to me, that's an incredible um, privilege that we have. So I don't want to take away and focus too much on, on the downside because that is a very small downside of the huge game that we have. Do you know what happened to some of the people you interviewed? Have you followed up with them since? Yes, I did. I did. Um, uh, unfortunately, a couple were deceased, but I kept in touch with the family and I have kept in touch with the others who faced the financial abuse and the emotional abuse. And yeah, they've, they've all done incredibly well. Some have gone on to live in Australia, even though they were on temporary visas. And that's a very big thing for especially women in the Indian community, because a lot of marriages happen when men are based here, women are back home, they have the marriage, they come here on a temporary visa maybe, um, and then the woman relies entirely on the husband for the visa status to be able to live in Australia. And that also could, you know, contribute to family violence. So, yeah, happily, at least those people interviewed during that time went on to live in Australia went on to get permanent residency. It's It's been an incredible journey. And just like the enemy within, I mean, I can, Xavier, you picked up this story. There's some other amazing, incredible stories that I've done, um, which make you feel so privileged and proud to live in a country like this. And I'll quickly tell you one about Purim Singh, because that is the one that kind of made waves around the world. And it was such a proud moment for us at the Punjabi program, broadcasting out of Faith Square here in Melbourne, <laughs> being known all over the world. Um, so it was it was a story I came to know about um, an Indian hawker who arrived in Australia in 1899, 1899, that long ago. He lived in Victoria, in country Victoria. He was a hawker, he hawked his goods. He died in 1947. It was always his wish that he should be cremated and that his ashes should go back home to India and be immersed in the river Ganges. Okay, so this was a verbal thing. So the Australian family who lived in Warrnambool, up in you know Western Victoria, they said, all right, we'll hold on to his ashes. We'll wait for someone from his family to come and get the ashes. And they held on for 63 years. It was incredible. So I came to know about this in 2010, went up to Warrnambool, interviewed the family. I wrote about it in an Indian newspaper, Hindu Sometimes, back home in India as well. Within a day, we find the family, his descendants in India, and they were still not very well off, but um, we found that they lived in a house, and that house in India still today was made with the money that Puran Singh's estate bequeathed them. And the house had inscription in Punjabi still standing to say, Puran Singh Australian. <laughs> that house is in India. Whereas here in Warrnambool, when I'd gone to, you know, pick up the story of the ashes, the plaque in the niche in the cemetery said, Puran Singh, Indian hawker, Western Victoria. So it was such a beautiful story. And what made it even bigger, why it became so big, the great Indian cricket legend Kapil Dev 
he sort of heard this was at the time where, you know, violence against Indian students was becoming a very big story. And he said, why am I hearing this? Because every time I've visited Australia, I've had a good time. So I was interviewing him about something else. And I told him about, I said, this is the Australia that also exists. Unfortunately, you haven't heard of. And he said, what's happening to the ashes? I said, well, they can't come. He says, okay, I'm going to come. So he flew in. <laughs> he took the ashes, gave a whole new meaning to ashes and cricket. <laughs> and I had the great opportunity to go back with him with the ashes to immerse them in the Ganges. Yeah, incredible. So there have been some incredible stories that I've done along the way. What would you say to any Indian journalists looking to make their way in Australia? What would your perfect advice be? First of all, I would say be really authentic, be who you are, work on your strengths. So you know best what your strengths are to work on those. But please be optimistic. Don't take those rejections personally. People are not rejecting you. It's maybe just the time that you're not getting the job. So I can tell you after the 150 rejections, yes, I felt terrible, but no, don't take it personally. Keep trying. The other thing is familiarize yourself with the new surroundings that you find yourself in. So work out how journalism here works. You can't work the same brand or model that worked back home in India. It's very different here. So make sure that, you know, you are trained to the Australian way. Update yourself, upskill yourself. Um, the most important thing, which I did for myself, you know, I, I reinvent yourself. So to me, um, 30 years ago, I don't think I would have thought I'd be a Punjabi language journalist, right? So don't be afraid to reinvent yourself. Do things slightly differently if required. Do a different job. Get your break elsewhere and then come back to journalism, to something that you love. So get that first break wherever you can, in whatever field you can. It helps you come back to the job that you will always love. What are you most proud of in your career or indeed as a person? Oh, as a person, let me say, I'm, I'm a very proud mother. At a professional level, I think I'm really proud of the opportunities that were given to me and how I was probably able to make the best of it. So if I look back at my career here at SBS, um, it's been amazing that from something as small as it was when it first started, that we've been able to provide this amazing platform for all Punjabi Australians around Australia to have a voice, um, to be able to share their issues, uh, to, you know, to talk about their successes, to, to bring this as a part of the national discourse, whether it's the history of Indians in Australia, whether it's the current, you know, people uh, in the elections at the moment of Indian origin or things like that, or Punjabi origin. So things like that makes me incredibly proud that we have this wonderful platform that mainstreams the stories of everyday Australians, in our case, Punjabi Australians, makes them feel at home, literally builds that social cohesion platform that um, is important for us. The other thing I'm incredibly proud is that how our stories then become reported all over the world. I mentioned one, but it happens almost in, on a daily basis these days, you know, a, a lovely story that we put out what, you know, the Daily Mail, or stories, uh, newspapers around the world report on that. Of course, I'm incredibly proud of the awards that I've been able to pick up. But then not just because it was an honour for me or the community as such, 
to me, it's the fact that it showed that journalism in language is not inferior to journalism in English, that it can viably compete with the biggest and brightest minds of English journalism in English language journalism and win those awards and to authenticate the stories of everyday migrant Australians as valid talking points and, you know, and say that our stories matter. And to me, I think those awards are less for me and more for how they make our community feel more relevant and more like they belong in, in the country. So I'm incredibly proud of that. Um, so it's not just the Punjabi program and all other SPS programs or the awards that they go on to win. I think it's it's amazing. What has the impact been of COVID-19, both on SPS Punjabi and the wider Indian Australian community? Enormous. Uh, as you can well imagine, it's been the same for everybody else. Um, specifically for the community, uh, they have suffered just like everybody else but it's also been so heartening to see people of the community step up provide free groceries and you know cooked meals to not just people within the community but to the wider community i remember when you know the um housing flats in um, flemington were shut down the punjabi community was right up there up front to deliver food so we've we've seen a lot of uh, community spirit come through and it's been uh, it's been a privilege to be able to share that with our audience as well. But coming to SBS and how we responded, it's been just incredible how quickly we were able to create a coronavirus portal in 63 languages, providing absolutely verified and the latest information to the new Australians, you know, to the newly arrived migrants who probably needed that information most could probably not understand what the government communications coming out every day on television and the other places were. So it wasn't just on the radio. We actually created a portal and every day we, we would be, you know, translating fact sheets into different languages and putting it up there to ensure working long hours, just ensure that our community is informed, knows what to do. And then even how we work, I mean, for a radio broadcast, uh, based program to suddenly be hit by the lockdown and all those restrictions. So it's been fascinating, you know, working from home during this time. So we've had, I have at least two team members who produce the program fully from home now. Uh, I have many colleagues, you know, who are presenting the programs from home. And it's it's funny how, you know, we have to try and pretend to create studio-like conditions at home, either going to the walk-in robe or, you know, put a blanket over yourself so you don't, don't have an echo coming out. <laughs> and I am incredibly proud, not just of my team, but all of my colleagues within ALC. We haven't missed a single broadcast. You know, the, the quality of our programs has not been compromised one bit. Uh, if anything, we have provided that essential service at a time that migrant Australians, especially the new migrants, needed it the most at the time of a pandemic. Um, you really don't want them to rely on misinformation that so easily spreads, especially because the rules would be probably very different for them back home from wherever they came from. 
as compared to here. What was it, 63 languages? That's like, anyone who's worked in translation knows that that's not just running it through Google. That's a huge job, especially when it's something like COVID instructions that you just can't get wrong. It has to be absolutely right. That's a massive undertaking. Spot on. This has to be a journalist's work or, you know, a professional's work to translate all the important things that uh, the way they should be done. And I can tell you how many endless hours have gone in from dedicated journalists all across SBS to make that happen. So it's it's been a fascinating um, change, you know, in the how quickly have we adapted. At the start of the year, if someone said to me that we'd be broadcasting from home, that we'd all be talking about a pandemic, you would have said, no, you're kidding me. But it's it's in, incredible how well we adapted and more than anything, we grabbed that opportunity and provided very, very essential service to the community. You know, I was really touched, uh, someone from actually the Vietnamese community, they, they um, made face masks, masks for all of the broadcasters and delivered it at our Fed Square office. And that is the connection. And I think to me, that is the most wonderful thing, fulfilling thing of the work that we do, the, the connections that we make with our community. Can I ask what the future holds for both SPS Punjabi and for you personally? Look, the future is big and bright. Definitely the COVID crisis has absolutely underlined how relevant and important authentic audio language content is something that you can rely. And I feel incredibly proud that, you know, I'm associated with this SBS brand where people know for sure that this is corroborated, that this is authentic, that this is something you can trust. Unfortunately, there's enough out there on social media, which is just misinformation, which just spreads like wildfire for no reason whatsoever. So to me, radio and audio language has never been more relevant. I see a big, bright future for SPS Punjabi, indeed for all of SPS to continue the way we are through our digital outreach as well, to reach hundreds and thousands of audience members, literally on a daily basis, that's that's what we do um, as SPS. So the future is huge, it's for us to take, and nothing, nothing would give me more happiness than to see one of my team members or one of my colleagues to go up there and grab one of those Walkleys, grab one of those big awards, because we have produced that journalism in language, which really is the lifeblood of this community, of this country. Well, this has just been the most fantastic interview. I can't thank you enough. You've had the most fascinating life story and you seem to be an incredibly positive influence on the culture. It's just brilliant. Thank you so much, Manfred, for speaking with us today. It was a lovely opportunity to share some of my thoughts and part of my journey. Thank you, Xavier. You were wonderful, wonderful indeed to talk to. I'm, I'm telling you, it's a little bit awkward to be interviewed because I'm not used to being on the other side of the microphone. <laughs> but no, it was wonderful. Thank you so much. New episodes of Anything But Square are released every Wednesday, and we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and sign up to our newsletter at fedsquare.com. Take care, and we'll see you next Wednesday.